Welcome to the Idea Land podcast, hosted by Ravi Kamati Reddy. Andrew Hilvers is a software engineer, digital health entrepreneur, and game developer for a AAA video game company. In this episode, Andrew and Ravi take a deep dive into gaming. Why are games so addictive? What does it take to create a game? And what role do they play in our culture? Interestingly, of all the people I know, you are in a very creative field with gaming and yep. technology. It's such an interesting place to explore cool ideas. So can we just zoom out here and let everyone know your background, where you're from, and you're down in California doing cool things uh, and racing Teslas around and, and coding from home and, and part of a very, very large organization uh, doing really cool things with gaming. And, and gaming's been part of your life in the past as well as, as digital health startups. So walk me back from Drew from Farmtown. So yeah, so I grew up, I grew up in a tiny town in Ohio. Uh, the actual town that I lived in had about 150 people. Uh, that was the population. It was, it was considered a village. Um, and then uh, I went to school in a city of about 5,000 people. That was about you know, 15, 20 minute drive away. But yeah, I grew up on a farm. Uh, my dad was a mechanic for farm machinery and also farmed on the side. I mean, like legit grew up on a farm, surrounded by cornfields, stuff like that. You feel like people um, just say that a lot of the time, but really- Yeah, people mean. say that they grew up in, in the middle of nowhere, they grew up on a farm, but like I legit did. I always like telling the story where my, my, the road that I grew up on was probably a mile long and three houses on that mile long road and all three had the same last name as me. Like that's, that's <laughs> the type of picture to paint. So anyway, so that's where I grew up. Um, it is, a, it is a painting for sure. Yeah, just think of, just think of cornfields, flat and cornfields. But anyway, so I grew up there and then I went to college in Ohio as well. I studied game design. Thought I wanted to be a video game designer or artist. I wasn't quite sure. And then about halfway through college, kind of fell in love with, with programming. So software engineering and then kind of pivoted a little bit. But it was kind of, it, it probably actually goes back, I would say three, four, five years old. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a generation where video games could be a part of my entire life. So we had, I had older brothers and sisters that had video games. They, uh, they were playing them when I was younger. They let me play. I got into it. I think I got a Game Boy when I was like six or seven. That was kind of like my first, like, this is my thing. Played a ton of Pokemon. Uh, that, that was kind of my first game I remember, Pokemon Red. And then as I got older, I was always interested in like math and science way more than like English or, or any social studies or history or anything like that. Um, so very big to math and science. I remember doing, writing like little programs for my TI-83 calculator. I uh, didn't know that they were uh, like that. That was programming. You know I, I remember mean, that. Time. So you, you were that guy. You were the guy that we all got the programs from. Where you had a little wire and you like attached the wire to the bottom to the other. Oh one. yeah, yeah. There was like so a you USB that you could plug into your computer. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It was like Dope Wars and Tetris. Yeah, I mean, I would build stupid little programs that would be like, oh, what's your name? And then you'd type in a name and I just have it. So it's like, oh, if your name is anything other than Andrew, like you're dumb. And then if it's Andrew, it says you're cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then be like, go to your friends and be like, hey, test this out. Um, stupid so, stuff like that. But it, it always, to me, kind of just felt like magic. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was like, oh, look, I can create something. Like I was never good at like making art or uh, singing or anything like that. So for me, yeah. it was like, this is some way I can be creative. 
So, you know, I don't want to make you, there's the stereotype, right? Being in the small town and being in a, a more rural environment. Is it safe to say, I don't want to say the word elite, but a cadre of people that were into this that most people weren't? I mean, did technology and things like that permeate your community as much as you think it did anywhere else? So video games were huge. Everybody played video games um, in my town. But in terms of computers, like building your own computers or, or obviously programming, like my school did at the time didn't really have programming classes. They had like Microsoft Word and Excel, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there wasn't like C++ or something. So like that type of thing was very foreign. I didn't even really know what programming was until I went to college because of that. Like it was just wasn't a, like a thing. Um, it was very much people would either go farming, like like kind of pick up from like their father's or mother's footsteps and go be a farmer, or they would go work in a factory, or they'd go to college, like a lot of like nurses and teachers and that kind of like, you know, more common occupations. For me to go and say, oh, I'm going to make video games, like people yeah. for the most part thought it was a joke. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, really? you can't make a career like making video games. Like that's not a thing. Um, luckily, you know, my parents were super supportive. Uh, like originally I was, I wanted to be a lawyer. So when I was like a freshman in high school, I thought I wanted so, to be a lawyer. That is so uh, incredibly different. I, I just can't imagine you being a so, lawyer. What do you yeah. think when you think back to that? So I don't know. I think it was one of those things where, where I enjoyed arguing with people and I could talk really fast and like, I don't know, just be kind of like a pain in the butt to people. So I was like, oh, lawyer matches that. <laughs> I think it was one of those things where it was like, I watched too many TV shows that had like lawyers and stuff, which made them like seem all fancy and cool. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to be. Um, but it wasn't until like, I don't know, my sophomore, junior year of uh, high school when I started applying to colleges uh, where my mom was literally just like, hey, what do you actually want to do? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. And she's like, I, she's like, don't think about anything. Just what do you think would be the most fun? And I was, I was like, oh, okay. I'd love to like make video games. And That's she was what like, she asked right. you. Yeah. So she was like, what do you think would be the most fun? And I was like, I don't know, like making video games probably. And then she was like, okay, so why don't you make video games? And then luckily at this point in time, so this would have been 2005, 2006, something like that. Um, there were actual colleges that had actual degrees like in video games starting up around that time. There was two in like all of Ohio. So um, the, the college I went to, which was Ohio University, had a program and I went there and I don't know, seemed like a fun place to be. And, and, and so I was like, all right, I guess I can do this. And that's kind of how it started. But it was definitely, I remember my senior year, like during graduation, they like announce what everybody's like majoring in when they go to college. So they'll read your name. They'll be like, you know, Andrew Hilvers attending Ohio University, majoring in, et cetera. <laughs> so my degree was called digital media video game design was like the actual program. And that's what I remember them reading that or saying that on the speaker and like people laughing, being like, what? That's not real. Like, I'm not like, they were laughing. Stuff. Legit they were laughing. like, like legit, not like laughing out loud, but yeah, like but snickering and like you hear whispers and stuff. Because I think people seriously thought it wasn't like a real thing. Like it was like a joke. And the reason I'm focusing on this because you have such a cool perspective about it because it's played such a huge part of your life, right? Like when we worked together, it was it, part of that reason um, that we were interested in, in, in hiring people from the game industry is because it has so much to do with um, people, how they interact with each other. So this is the funny thing about video games that it's so weird to me that people will snicker about it, like especially back then, right? Even now, it's like, oh, it was a serious thing. Yet when you look back at the evolution of the personal computer, 
it's it always seems like it was game driven. I'm thinking back to like when the Apple IIe my dad brought home, right? Like in whatever, 1985 or something like that. Everybody was playing games. It almost felt like games were the driving force behind a lot of innovation in a weird inadvertent way. Even today, like with AI, we test them on games, right? We, yeah. we talk about who wins at chess and go and, and uh, you know, the evolution of uh, intelligence, being able to like play games correctly. And whether those games are like the, like Pac-Man or those games are stock markets because games are super important. People do spend a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, so it's like entertainment in general, I will say. So you look at, you know, you're bringing up like personal computers and stuff like that. So if you look at, you know, games, making games, playing games, you look at uh, making videos, uh, so like video editing, stuff like that. And then you look at like kind of simulation. So like 3D models, art, that kind of stuff. Those are kind of the main driving factors for like a personal computer. So things like graphics card technology and CPU technology and faster memory and, and all of that stuff is very much driven by those needs. It used to be 10 years ago, a gaming computer and a work computer would be very different. Nowadays, they're actually very similar. Um, and that's the newest trend is that I think manufacturers and, and, and just people realize like, hey, why do these things even need to be separate? So if you're looking at like the best AI processor uh, that that exists right now, so that's, you know, going to be in a, in a graphics card and that same right. graphics card can go play games like perfectly well. Um, so, yeah, so there's definitely like an influx of that. And I think it drives it a lot because I mean. Let's be honest. Why, why do people play games for the most part? I mean, it's like enjoyment. People want to be happy. So well, that's what I, was I think ask people, what, people are what willing you, to fund happiness. Like, yeah, what sense. is that? What is that role? Why, why do you think it's such a big thing? And actually, even before we get there, how big is it? Like games? How big is game? Yeah. Uh, games are huge. I think it was in 2013. It was while I was in college, or uh, maybe 2010. There was, there was a point in the last 10 years where games surpassed like film in terms of like gross revenue. That was like a huge checkbox for, for people who make games being like, look how legit this is. This is, yeah. it's bigger than films. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's just growing consistently. And there's so many things outside of games that, that gamer culture that a lot of people like to say, but there's a lot of things outside of games that, that games influence. So you, you have your, your streaming, you have like computers, technology, stuff like that. You have entertainment. I mean, now they make movies about video games um, or about people playing video games uh, where like, you know, you tell somebody that 20 years ago and they'd be like, what? You're crazy. Um, yeah, so like yeah, esports. So like I was watching uh, NFL the other day and I thought I was watching NFL. This actually happened. I mean, I was watching an esports thing. I was like mad in football. And people were just sitting in, in, at home and playing it. And it looked so damn real. It was kind of creepy, to be honest. And it wasn't until I, f I started seeing dead players on this. I was like, oh, okay, this is, <laughs> this is a game. This is yeah, uh, so, you know, live. So that, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing around esports in general and how, you know, gaming, at least in my opinion, gaming is a sport. Like it takes skill. There's competition. There's, mm -hmm. there's risk. There's reward. You know what I mean? Um, like, Anybody who thinks they can just go be a professional gamer is like crazy. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I work with professional gamers on a fairly regular basis for like the game that, that I make and the amount of like training, playing, like even physical, like it's, yes, it's a lot of mental, but you think, I know it sounds silly, but try sitting in front of a computer on a mouse and a keyboard, constantly moving, pressing buttons and being like mentally focused for like 12 hours a day. Like it's really hard. And that's, you know, essentially what they've done for years in order to, to be the best at this game. Um, and I mean, 
like you look at the biggest the biggest esports events right now um so you look at you know like the world championships of certain things they're pulling in you know 100 million live viewers um like their prize pools are are in the millions like these these are not like insignificant numbers for sure uh, Drew, when did this it's change just I mean, get higher so like people weren't doing this for super mario brothers right i mean when did this change was it really the advent of like uh, just distributed multi multiplayer gaming is that what we're really talking about? is this the the real thing that's happened in the last 10 years that it's been easier to connect you know tens or hundreds of people playing together in the same game yeah i there, there's a couple different uh avenues i think if i mean are we talking about just multiplayer games or are we talking about esports or just games in general uh, just games in general so games in general i think there's a couple different things it, number one it's just becoming more common and, and like people are more open to it like there's no the stigmas are are slowly like going away where people would say, oh, you play video games? That's weird. You know what I mean? It's now, you know, you look at like the advent of like mobile games, for example, like iPhone games. Like my my 75-year-old mother is playing iPhone games. You know what I really? mean? Really? What's and she playing? I have no idea what she's playing. She plays like a lot of card games for sure, like solitaire <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, but the, the fact is, is that the the reach no matter what it's like you have a device in your pocket you you are on a computer your tv a lot of smart tvs nowadays have games built in it's one of those things where i think the the amount of accessibility is so high at this point like it's so easy for just anybody to be exposed to them it used to be like hey i either need to spend a thousand dollars on a computer or i need to buy five hundred dollar game console and that's really your only options and it's yeah sometimes hard to find they break a lot nowadays it's like heck you know you have millions of, of of games just in your pocket every day so got it you know it's it's interesting you talk about the your your mother playing games too because that like you said the reach just for the population that is between what age five and 15 is is huge with smartphones and, and tablets and things like that but yeah it's easy to forget that there's just a lot of people who like games who are older now who grew up with console games, you know, 30 years ago, and they're still playing games into their, into their late 50s, 60s, 70s. And I wonder what that breakdown is like. So the games you've worked on, have you seen a shift in the demographics? You know, like it used to be just like a bunch of dudes sitting around playing games, Nintendo 64, James Bond in the dorm room, you know, it was like always guys. Are you seeing a change in, in the kinds of people who are playing games now? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it like every every game kind of genre is going to have their kind of standard target audience. Or it's not even necessarily a target audience. It's just like an audience that kind of gravitates towards that. I worked on some casual mobile games in the past. Yeah. And the, the casual mobile game market is literally ages like 30 to 60 female. Like that, like you, when, really? you, make, when you make Candy Crush, Candy yeah. Crush is targeted at age 30 to 60 female. No way. Yes, 100%. And and it's because like that's who enjoys those games. That's that's who's willing to pay 99 cents because they're out of lives, you know what I mean? That the, those are the people who enjoy those games generally. Now, there's not saying there's not people in every age group or or yeah. or, or whatever that enjoy games. It's just like that is their market, if that makes sense. And and what's interesting is the the game that I work on now, our market is pretty much ages, you know, 16 to 30 male for the most part, um, uh -huh. which is kind of your, when you think of video games or AAA titles, like I, I make it work, like that's the market you shoot for, for the most part. Um, but what's interesting is when I was younger, I played one of the games, this is kind of crazy. It's like when I was in college, I was playing the game that I now work on. 
Really? Like, yeah, yeah. So this the game came out in 20, 2010, 2009, 2010. And like I was, you know, a sophomore, junior in college at that point. So it was one of my favorite games when I was in college. That's like one of the reasons like I kind of ended up at this job. And it's one of those things where at that time, it felt like it was a lot of 13, 14, 15, 16 to maybe 20 year olds playing that game. But now what's interesting is that I think those people that played it then are like me and I've gotten older. And now we're seeing more people in their like mid to late 20s playing this same game. Got it. So what's interesting about that, and like, sure, we pick up some new people, but it, it's majority of people more my age now. And what's interesting about that is like, that to me is like an example of is, if how I think a lot of gaming is going and how as we get older, like that gaming generation is going to continue to game. So we're going to continue like buying games, playing games. So everybody, you know, right now, I would say the majority of people 35 and younger, like a majority over 50% probably play games on a regular basis, whether it's a phone game or whatever. And as that goes, now that population of people who are playing games is just going to keep getting larger because kids play games. And then kids that play games grow up and play games. So, you know, most likely when I'm 65 years old, it's going to be, okay, everybody 65 and younger plays games. So yeah. like now we're like doubling or tripling the population of people who play games, which is already a huge population now. So um, I can only see games just getting bigger at this point. The interesting thing is, you know, you, you mentioned about the, the relationship to film, or at least you know, um, uh, the comparison to film. Yep. It almost seems like, because, you know, when you, when you see a behind the scenes thing on a film, just the amount of logistical nightmares and fires that you have to deal with, right? Uh, crew of a thousand people just it just seems so incredibly difficult to get a film produced and made distributed and in the theater just all the different yep. steps what's it like bringing like you said a triple a game to market now how much effort is that is that something are we on the same wavelength with film now when it comes to yeah. production of these games uh it's it's pretty similar actually there there's a lot of leaders from the film industry that have moved really? over into the game industry because of how similar it is. So for example, um, the game I work on, uh, so we've been around for like 10 years and we have, a, we have roughly a thousand to 1500 people working just on that game. Um, and that's a game that's already released. Uh, so it, it, it really just depends on the scope of your game. I mean, heck, I've worked on games where it's been 10 people that made a game. Um, it really just kind of depends on how big the game is. Like, I, I believe uh, in terms of kind of like public numbers, I believe Grand Theft Auto V was like the largest. Um, That's a great uh, game. That's a great yeah, game. It was like the largest budget for a game. Uh, you didn't like that game when it first came out, I remember, because I, I remember it coming out and it made, I think, like a billion dollars in one day on pre-sales or whatever, because people pre-ordered it. And it was like the biggest release ever. But I remember you not being so happy with that game. I was mad. I was mad. I was mad because they didn't release it on PC right away. That's why they went consoles only right away, and then they spent like six more months making the PC game. I mean, I'm a big PC guy, so like, I I, I want I want everything to be on PC. So why? I'll, I'll play why it. What is with the PC? Because this division, as far as I've as far as I can tell, has been growing over the last like 10 years, especially since PCs are just getting super, super powerful, especially since some of the, uh, the VR stuff works on PC. So, you know, I had that HTC Vive. I'm sure you, you've been playing around with headsets and VR and AR and stuff like that too. Uh, and PCs are 
traditionally the ones that go running now, even though now like the Oculus Quest and stuff are self-contained. Yeah. yeah, I feel like there's this step up of like hardcoreness for the people with the PC gamers versus just us normal people who are playing consoles. Yeah, I mean, like real quick before we go on that tangent. So Grand Theft Auto V was 265 million to build. Wow. So so that's like movie budget, huge oh, movie budget. That's, that's you know bigger I mean? than it. Yeah. So so that's that's my point. It's like. You know, I mean, we've released two new games at work in the last, uh, at my company in the last like six months. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't, the budget weren't that big, but I'm sure it's in the millions. You know what I mean? I don't know the exact numbers, but it's, yeah. it's one of those things where games, like making a legit AAA title is not cheap. So, I mean, uh, people are expensive. Uh, there's a lot of logistics. It takes multiple years. I think Grand Theft Auto V was like three or four years to build. Like it takes a long time. Um, but uh, but anyways, so going back to your question about um, yeah the PCs, what is it with the PC? What's the future of the PC in gaming? So I think it's just a combination of things. But for me, it's mainly like flexibility, customability, and experience. So when you play, you know, the best Xbox that's out right now, or the best PlayStation that's out right now, pretty much the best you're gonna get is maybe 4K at like 30 FPS, maybe most games are going to be 1080p at maybe 30 fps you'll even see there's games on the current consoles that are 720p running at 30 fps still and it's one of those things where for me i want to get it's it's just like why why do you have a fast car if you don't you know what i mean people will say like why do you have the fastest car in the world but you only drive it to work and back well i don't know it's still just a fun thing to have you know what i mean for me it's like I want to play at the highest resolution I can. I want to um, play, you know, at the highest frame rate as I can. And like, there's resolution to a degree, there's diminishing returns after you get to a certain point. But I mean, the more pixels you have, the better the image looks, the faster your frame rate is, the more smooth the picture is going to be, the less lagging and stuff there is. So generally, there is a better experience that you can get from it. But for me, it's mainly like, I like the customability. Like, so for example, you know, most games on a PC, there's 800 settings that you can go through and tweak and be like, oh, well, what if I turn, you know, the anti-aliasing to 8x and, and I make the texture resolution uh, high instead of very high and I make the reflections, you know, super high or whatever. Uh, like that kind of tweaking, that's like, that hits me. You know what I mean? That's so you why like, I like that? Oh, yeah, I love that. That drives me crazy. Yeah, I'm just like, but, oh, just run, you know, just run it. Just, yeah, just turn and, on. And I think that's kind of like what the consoles are, are meant for. It's meant so you, you put your disc in or you select your game and it just works. You don't have to think about it. Um, like that, that's kind of the, the thing. Now, I will say there is a huge convergence with the next generation consoles and PC. So essentially the, the consoles when they started out, so you're looking back at your regular Nintendo, your Super Nintendo, uh, Nintendo 64, your original PlayStation, original Xbox. At that time, um, they were very like custom. So they they weren't using like PC parts from off the shelf. They were using like custom GPUs, custom CPUs, custom software. Like you know, everything was very much specific to the console. And it it got to the point where like I worked on a Xbox 360, PC, and PS3 game. And it was to the point where, where essentially Xbox and, and PC at that point were pretty close. So we kind of have one code base that, that went to, to both of them. But we had to have a completely kind of separate or at least separate chunk of our code to be able to go to PS3. Because the architecture and the way it was built was so different from the others. Wow. Now, 
Now, uh, with the, uh, the new Xbox, the new PlayStation, and PC, they're essentially exactly the same at this point. Like, they're using actual CPUs that you can go and buy and put in your computer today. They're using actual SSDs. They're using actual graphics cards that you can go and buy and put in your computer today for the most part. Um, now, they might be tweaked a little bit for, like, the console, but they're essentially going to be the same. So what that means is now, for example, Microsoft already announced that any Microsoft published Xbox game for the new console will yeah. also be on PC and it will be one, like you buy one license and it just works on both. Um, so that's kind of the world we're moving into now. So now I think what you're going to see is you're going to see way better games on PC coming forward because their software that you need to write is so much like it's so similar across them all. So be games coming out three, two, three years from now are going to be very similar across the three. And that's kind of always been a big thing is that a lot of the times it's been like consoles first, PC second for gaming companies. So you'll get a really good optimized title for console. And then the PC port a lot of the times is like crappy. You know, that was kind of like one of the things about GTA five is when it first came out on PC, it yeah. was like not great at all. Um, like it ran really bad, had a lot of bugs and stuff like that. And that's because, you know, they didn't think about PC or didn't focus on that when they were building the console versions. But now that they're going to be so similar, now it's going to be like, hey, you're getting almost every game across all three. Every game is going to be, you know, very optimized for all three. It's, it's, it's actually just a great thing for gamers in general. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, I was thinking about the when I when I think about PCs, I think about obviously the VR stuff as we talked about before. But the other thing is simulation because for me as a pilot uh, and um, someone who likes to race cars, being able to do that in a very non-expensive way and still get enough out of the experience where I feel like there are lessons that could be translated over to the real life activity is pretty amazing. And I can tell you from a piloting standpoint. It is way safer and cheaper to go take a plane up and it uses like real world weather, real world photorealistic scenery, uh, the flight dynamics are good and it's an amazing way to experience uh, not just to practice but to a lot of people where they just like actual flying isn't available to them, right? Whether yeah. it's financially unavailable or just not in their area or something they just can't do or too scared to do it. It's an ability to experience that. I've seen that happen with the sim racing. So I've got some friends who were really into sim racing. I mean, they're racing uh, like 24 hours of Le Mans and stuff like that over 24 hours. Like there's a yeah. glitch in the ethernet, like they're done. Like their, their team's like done. Right. Can you imagine that? Like being the last hour and someone, you know, the power goes out or something like that and you're screwed. Um, but it's like, there's real points and they're racing against like there's F1 drivers on the track, like real formula one drivers on yeah. the sim race with them uh, as different teams. And it's just so weird because there's no other time in your life where you'd ever be able to go toe to toe with a pro in a sport like that, right? Uh, and so like the PCs and stuff are so good at running that whole sim setup and everything too, like with the, with the different wheels and stuff. Speaking of, which is really funny, um, given that you're from Farmtown, have you seen things like, what do you think of things like Farming Simulator? There's all these sim games like this. What is it with the appeal that people just love being, uh, experiencing that, even though like they've never even been near a farm or something? You know? So. Okay, so first off, uh, I would say simulation style games is probably my second favorite genre of games, maybe my first. So, so you're really? talking about like racing. So I, I played a lot of iRacing. I have yep. like the wheel and pedals, you know, I have the whole setup. Um, 
I've done uh, uh, like golf simulation. So like there's uh, one of my friends in San Francisco had a full on like golf simulator. So he had a, a thing called a GC quad, which was like a ball tracker. So you put it like in front of your ball, you hit a real life golf ball with a real club into uh-huh. like a, uh, a projector screen and the ball hits the screen, falls down, but the data gets sent to a computer and it shows you your shot like you're on the golf course. And it's yeah, like awesome. legit. And I mean, that's used by like tons of professionals and stuff like that. Um, and there's like real life tournaments and you can play it like, you know, same, same thing, but kind of getting to the farming simulator. So I, I think I have like 400 hours in farming simulator, like, or farming <laughs> simulator 19, 2019. Uh, I love that game. I think it's awesome. So like for me, I th- it's Why? essentially, well, so it's kind of like all of the good things of farming. Uh-huh. With like none of the, well, maybe not none, but most, uh, like not very much of the bad. So like, for example, uh, let's say your farm's not doing well. Well, whatever. You can just like destroy it and start a new one. Who cares? Like, <laughs> uh, what is money? Government uh, subsidy. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. So, um, but for me, Farming Simulator, and I think a lot of the simulator games, so they're, they're, number one, there's like the attraction of like, hey, I can't be a professional at this, but this can like kind of make me feel like I'm a professional at it. Yeah. So like, you know, you're talking about the racing stuff. So it's like, you know, I'm never going to be able to get on a track, like a real track with an F1 driver or whatever, but maybe like in this game I can or something. And I mean, there are people in iRacing, I know for a fact, who started only doing iRacing and then have climbed the ranks and eventually became right. real drivers. Like that's, that's like right. a real thing. It's um, a real thing. And it's, it's, it's happening more and more. And I think even on the console side, it happened, right? So Sony, the PlayStation challenge. It was like, and, yeah, Gran Turismo or whatever, right? Yeah, that's right. It was Gran Turismo. And the Nissan was sponsoring that. And, and used to be that people grew up in carts and go-karts, racing go-karts since they're like five years old and stuff. But now it seems like there's a lot of skills that translate over. Um, yeah. It's an interesting community that gets, that gets created there. And it's, Funny, one story I heard once about a game that blew up, but when it was in production, people just didn't seem, or at least the, the company backing it didn't really seem to get it. I think you're going to know what I'm talking about. It's like The Sims. So there's okay. like all these different types of games, but this is a weirdly different simulation type game, right? Where you're simulating people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a lot of these simulators now where like the tasks would be something like mundane, but I bet you a million dollars. If you did something like Office Simulator, people would play that. Yeah, dude. You so, know? like, instead, so, they know that office work is boring. They don't want to be in an office, but they'd rather sim it. They'd play a character in that. Why do you think that is? What's the appeal? So, I mean, I think it'll. Okay, so, so farming simulator for me, for example, I like it because it's super relaxing. So, okay. like, I can sit in a tractor. Okay, yeah. I can. I'll have like music playing. I'll have the ambient noise of like birds chirping or like the tractor noises and stuff like that. And I'll be like plowing this field. And it, 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 it essentially like for that time when I'm doing that, I'm like teleported into that like life, if that makes sense. At least that's how I, I feel. Is it, it's like, I don't have to worry about whatever bills to pay or chores to do, or I don't have to worry about cleaning up the house or whatever is in my mind right now. It just goes away. All I'm thinking about is like, huh, I need to plow this field. You know what I mean? Um, And like, I think that's kind of similar to the other. So there's, for example, there's a PC building simulator, okay, where you own like a PC repair shop uh, Uh and you people come in like, hey, I, uh, I got a virus on my computer. Can you remove it? And it's like, yeah, of course. I'm going to be great. No, seriously. This is seriously. Yeah. It's a huge game. Huge. Um, 
uh, and like you can build your own computers for people and like you can do custom water cooling, like everything. And like, it's one of those things where if you told me like, hey, like if, if whatever, if uh, my neighbor came to me and was like, hey, I got this computer, it's got a virus on it can you like take it off? I'd be like, uh, I'm sorry, you should take it down the street. You know what I mean? Like, I never yeah, want to do that. Exactly. I mean? But in this game, it's like, yeah, dude, I'll click. And it's like, it's a simulator. It's not like a game. It's a game, but it's a simulator. So for example, to remove viruses, you, you plug the computer in, you have to install a program, which takes time. Then you have to click on the virus scan. You have to let it run, which takes real life time. And then you have to be like, oh, okay, remove viruses. And then you have to like unplug the cables and remember to take your thumb drive out. Otherwise it'll go with the customer. You'll have to buy another thumb drive. Like it's like a real, you know what I mean? Um, and it's, but you know, like you said, like if, if your neighbor had come over with a computer and you're literally doing the exact same tasks that would take the exact same amount of time yeah. and headache, I'd, I'd you wouldn't like, oh, do it no, and potentially no. get paid. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, I'd much rather have the fake in-game money than like the, the real, you know, whatever, 20 bucks to do that. So there, I think there's a lot of this, um, the strategy and an analysis and things in games can be probably ported over in addition to the technology to things like healthcare. And uh, for example, what I'm working on right now, which is kind of gamification and motivation for healthcare, like lifestyle change right? Just getting people to eat right. And so we use this term gamified. I wanted to get your thoughts on it because it, it's such a loaded term, especially in science, because when I hear it, what I think about is, um, well, the underlying principles of why people act the way they do. And like, I think games are really good at knowing which dials to push on people with these tricks, right? And there's like a huge repertoire of tricks that you all use to do it. Things like, um, you know, streak mechanics and, um, you know, you only have a limited number of lives or a limited number of money, like these resource constraints and all these things like that that you do that kind of trick people to, to motivate them to go down a certain channel, if you will, in a game. And they're so motivated to play it, right? And even when people aren't getting paid, they're spending their time and money not wasting their time, but basically doing something that's not giving them an immediate benefit, but they are getting benefits out of it. So the question always is like, how do we use that, right? How do we use the gamification, if you will, uh, into these other areas, just how to live well, like our health or how financially secure we can be. Like we, we know, like I wonder if there's a credit card simulator, right? Things like that. Like, would that be helpful to people just to, to, to learn all these other life skills, you know, do games have a role to play there? Yeah. I mean, like ultimately the, you're talking about like kind of these levers and stuff and like these levers existed before games. I mean, look at like advertisements, for example, like, like print advertisements before that, or, or look at, you know, I don't know, like um, a merchant selling something out of bazaar and like, you know, whatever the 800, AD or whatever. I don't, you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, yeah. The, these things existed forever. It's, it's more nowadays. I think when somebody says like gamify, essentially it's like, Hey, how can we take the things that have worked in games? And again, have worked throughout human history. And how can we put those into this idea in like a digital way? I think that's a lot of when people are thinking like gamify. Um, Cause like, I mean, every, every, everybody, like every human has like some button to push on them that gets them, you know, motivated. If you're talking about motivation, like maybe like for me, for example, uh, sense of accomplishment and competition are like the two things for me. So if you're telling me, oh, okay, I get a little, uh, a little star 
every time I complete something. And then I have the ability to show how many stars I have ranked against everybody else. And I can be at the top and maybe even get a reward for being at the top. Like that for me would motivate me like through the roof. You know what I mean? Um, some people it's different. Uh, like, but I think that the main thing is the majority of games, especially kind of, you know, mass market games, games that aren't, you know, super like niche for somebody. So for example, like a PC building simulator, that's pretty niche. Um, but if you look at a, a, a game like a Candy Crush or something that's like huge and like very broad appeal, um, I think there's a lot of different levers you can pull from those. And, and a lot of it is just kind of like that positive feedback loop. You know what I mean? That's like a very common thing that's talked about. And I know in games, and I think it's talked about a lot of stuff, which is if you get somebody feeling good about what they just did and then give them a, a, a challenge or some type of confrontation to, to kind of fix in order to feel good again, and you just keep that kind of thing going over and over, it's like, hey, here's a problem. Here's how, like, we're giving you the tools to solve it. Once you solve it, hey, here's like a reward of some type. And then it's just like, keep that going. And then usually you're kind of escalating. Okay, the problem gets next problems harder. The next reward's bigger. Next problem's harder. Next reward's bigger. I mean, that's like physical fitness in general. It's like, okay, go go run. Like, that's not that hard. Go outside and, and, and run a, for, for 10 minutes. Okay, well, if you did that every day, you would get rewarded by a little a little reward. Then it's like, okay, well now if you step that up, now it's like, okay, do it for 30 minutes and add dieting and add, you know, uh, 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 like weight training. And you just like, you know, you keep, keep adding to the challenge and then it's like, oh, okay, now join like a, a, a basketball league and, and yeah. do this other stuff. And, and, you know, those challenges get harder, but so do the, the rewards get bigger. And the key is just, you know, I think in games, what games are so good at is they're so good at making a curve that's like very, uh, you know, not necessarily linear, but almost like more of like this where, Hey, we'll just give you a little bit, give you a little bit until you get to a point where you're so invested that no matter what next challenge we send at you, you're going to do it. Um, so like so the barrier of entry is really low. So you get rewarded really quickly. Yeah. Really I tangible. mean, let's be honest. Like, I, I mean, you look at something yeah. like, uh, like gambling or, yeah. or, you know, something like that. Like it's the same mechanism. I mean, a lot of people compare video games to gambling in terms of like addiction and stuff like that. It's like, you know, it's a very similar thing where we'll give you something very small and easy and, and free potentially like look at like free to play games. Um, like that's the whole point. That's their mechanism is like, like a candy crush. I keep coming back to that. It's just a game. A lot of people knows, Hey, what, let's let you play this for free for an hour and give you like the first couple levels in that game are super easy and they give you huge rewards and they like make you know all these explosions and and and, yeah. and partying etc and then you get to a point where uh now all of a sudden like you're addicted like you're like oh man i love this feeling this feeling is great look how good i am they're telling me i'm awesome like everything's great and then all of a sudden it's like hey if you want to keep feeling this way you got to give us 99 cents so Drew, like, these, okay. yeah, no, I can totally see that, especially with the free-to-play games. Um, but are these things, for the most part, 
very, very intuitive to people who go into the gaming industry? Like, is this something you learn on the spot and you just copy and you're modeling from other games and gamers or you learn from senior developers and they're passed down? Or is this something that's taught in the classroom? Are these techniques, the underlying principles, is this something that's formally taught to you guys? How, how much does this come up in the design stage of a game? Are there big meetings with, you know, 500 developers or people going, yep, this is the, these are the kind of things we want to hit. These are the kind of levers we want to pull. So, yeah. You know, like, how, how, how deep does this well go? Almost be, so the, so number one, kind of your first question, um, it's sort of taught in the classroom. Um, it's not exactly taught how I just described it. Um, right. It's more taught like from a high level kind of theoretical stance. Um, but we do talk about, and, and this is kind of the, the common thing you'll hear, which we call the, the core game loop. Okay. okay, so the, the core game loop or core game mechanic or core gameplay, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you might call it, but they all mean the same thing. That's kind of where the majority of games start and from a design standpoint. I've never, so, never heard that before. Okay, the so, core game yeah, mechanic. Yeah, core game mechanic. So, so essentially it's like, if you're thinking about, you know, a new game, the first thing almost always that you design is, hey, what is like the main thing you're doing in the game? And what is like, and then you break it down into, okay, what's the main, excuse me, what's the main challenge of the game? How are players rewarded? And what is the motivating factor to keep them doing that? Okay. So you look at like, I don't know, a, uh, uh, like an RPG or something. It's like, okay, uh, the main core mechanic in that game is you uh, kill things. So you get money or resources well, we'll just say resource. You kill, kill things to get resources so you can get stronger, so you can kill bigger things. That's the core game mechanic. That's like the core game mechanic for millions of games that exist today. It's right. like, hey, kill things, get stronger so I can kill bigger things. And, and it's like, but you need to focus on, hey, what is that? So like for a simulation game, okay, right. maybe it's a little bit different. But again, it, look at The Sims. Okay, what's the point of The Sims? Well, you build things. So you can get more money, so you can build bigger things or more things, so you can get more money. I mean, like that's kind of like the the uh, the the core mechanic of a lot of games. But the key is you kind of figure out, okay, what's your core mechanic and how does it apply directly to the idea that you have? So maybe you're saying, oh, well, we're going to be in space and you're going to be harvesting asteroids and you're going to getting resources off those asteroids so you can build your ship bigger so you can go farm bigger asteroids and then you can you know whatever like that's kind of how a lot of ideas for games start like kind of on that and then you just keep expanding um the other kind of avenue sometimes from design standpoint is maybe like if it's a very story driven game um potentially the story can can be the first thing that comes or uh at least kind of completed before the core game mechanic is but i mean almost every game that i've worked on that's been successful or gaming company i've worked at that's been successful the the main thing that you care about 100 percent at the beginning is what is the core game mechanic and is it fun because like it doesn't matter how good your story is it doesn't matter how good your game looks in order for your game to stand the test of time it has to be fun at the core like that's the main thing people have to enjoy playing it um uh, so yeah, so it's like kind of thinking about what makes this game fun, and then you can kind of start building bits and pieces on top of that. And and it's usually kind of starts as that nucleus and just kind of goes out. Well, Drew, um, what is like a what is a lifetime for a game? Like, what would be considered what is standing the test of time? Is it like a 
you know, you look at a game like uh, Tetris. Like, I think we can all agree it stands the test of time, right? People are playing now and still going. But what is that? Like, that's, that's obviously like a weird fluke, I'm sure. But what's something that's considered a good, hey, you spent $245 million in this, producing this game, that you got a million players worldwide or 10 million. Is 10 years good enough? I mean, is that uh, Ill, well, or? I mean, you look at outside of your super rare games like a Tetris. But again, you got to think about it. The the standard Tetris like game itself, like the black and white original Tetris version, that's not the version people are playing nowadays. People right. are playing some different version of it. But what stood the test of time? The core game mechanic stood the test of time, which was right. for that game, it's like, hey, the mechanic is you fit shapes together, you make rows go away, you get points and you try to get higher score, higher score. And then you do it again. You try to get higher score. Um, that's, that, that was the core mechanic. And that's what stood the test of time. And so for, for nowadays, like if you're building a game nowadays, you're usually hoping that it can last, you know, again, it depends on what type of game you're making. Because like if you're making, let's say, the new Madden football game, you know that it's only supposed to last a year because you're going to make a new version of it the next year. That's kind of, that. there's different games that are much Call of Duty, for example. Uh, like Call of Duty games are only designed to last a couple years because they're going to make a new one and make a new one and make a new one. That's their model. Now, if you look at different games that are like your World of Warcraft or, you know, your League of Legends, your Dota, your Counter-Strike, you know, any of those games that are much more about um, being, you know, like, being around for a long time, just getting incremental updates over time to keep them good. Uh, those games, you know, at work for us, we always say that we will not green light an idea unless it could be a generational game. 20 years. So that that's what we say, a generational game. Like we say that if we make a game today, mm-hmm. we want the people that play it today to be able to teach it to their kids. What's like the secret to that? So, so you talked about the game mechanic and the, and the fundamental thing being fun. And I'm sure there's a lot that goes into that. One thing that comes into my mind, a question that comes to mind is uh, tuning difficulty seems like a really difficult thing to do, right? Yeah. How do you tune the difficulty so that you're not putting people off? And this is a weird principle because I think it extends way past gaming. It's just like this is like a principle for learning everything in life when you're tutoring someone or teaching someone to do something. How do you get the difficulty right so you don't, you don't create such a high barrier early stages in the process that they just give up and go away? Yeah, uh, it's tricky. Um, I would say, so the company that I'm at makes very highly competitive games that are super high skill capped. Um, essentially what that means is, like we do a really, really good job of making it so that way it's like impossible to be like so good at the game you're not going to continue to get better. Like the games we make are are very much like there's no skill cap. Like you can continually get better no matter what. Like there, there's there's a lot of skill built into it versus like, you know, oh, I hit level 100. So now I'm the most powerful person. And like, you know, I can't get any more powerful. Ours is like, you know, a lot more about uh, the individual being like good at the game versus your character being good at the game. Like everybody kind of starts at the same at the same like level. So, you know. The thing that differentiates player A and player B is their skill versus like how they built their character for the most part. Um, But uh, with that being said, we, I personally think are not great currently at a low barrier of entry. Like all the games that we make, uh, you know, at my job are, are very high barriers of entry. It's actually been a common complaint that we've gotten for years about, Oh, you know, it's so hard to just like jump into this game because like, 
everybody, people have been playing it for eight years, 10 years. So like, yeah. they're so good. And like, I don't know how any of these mechanics work. And there's like 800 features because, you know, you've been building it for 10 years and like, it's yeah. just overwhelming. So that's something where we've essentially decided as a company that we will lower the barrier of entry as much as we possibly can, but we would never do it to hurt the integrity of like the, the high skill cap. So we essentially design our game for the best players, for the pros. And you think about other things like sports, for example. Right. Basketball or baseball or golf, those sports are designed for the most part for the professionals, for that small subset of people who are playing it professionally. Like, I don't think anybody is saying like, oh, let's make rims, basketball rims, nine foot tall instead of 10 foot tall. So that way, uh, shorter people can dunk now. Like, that's never been a suggestion. And that's because like, it's designed for the pros and for the best player. That that's a really be. interesting analogy. That's that you're right. That never happens. And if anything, they make the game harder sometimes. Like they make the three point line farther away. And like right. they're talking in golf. There's a big thing in golf right now where they're trying to uh, consider pulling back golf ball technology to make it so the pros can't hit like over 300 yards anymore on a drive. Yeah. Because what's happening is like, humans are continually getting better at these things over time so like the best pro golfers now are like hitting the ball driving the ball on average way farther than the ones even 20 years ago so what the problem you have is all these golf courses are built for people who could only hit the ball 300 yards at best and now there's people out there hitting it 350 yards off the tee so now all of a sudden like oh people are like you know these courses are too easy so it's 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 one of those things where I think things that have stood the test of time, mostly if you look at like sports, for example, they are built around the best people that can build, like play it. Um, and so I think, you know, that's one way of making your game last the test of time is building it for the best players. I know like that sounds very counterintuitive. You would think like, oh, hey, if we make the game available to everybody and accessible to everybody and in the skill level of everybody everybody will want to play but the problem is people get demotivated really easily if something is too easy and that's like a, a hard problem like some of the most successful games over the over like you know the lifetime that video games have existed some of the most successful games have been the hardest games like if you look at original super mario brothers like without using cheats and stuff that game's yeah. actually really hard. You know what I mean? It is actually like, very hard. I was thinking about that when you were just talking. Yeah. That's it's very game hard. That came up but in my... it's, it's a game like almost everybody knows. And, and why was Mario so successful and stuff like that? Well, it was a hard game. But it was one of those games where once you accomplished the, the task, you felt like you achieved something. And you felt rewarded. And you felt motivation to go and do that challenge again. And that's one of those things where it's like, you look at, you know, you were talking about trying to use, you know, gamify like people, um, you know, being better for the, like themselves, making themselves better and stuff like that, like mentally and physically. And it's, it's like one of those things where I, I truly believe if you're trying to apply game stuff to it, if you make the, the challenges or stuff like that too easy, then people like aren't going to actually continue to do it. You might get a big influx right away, but you're going to see people drop off like crazy. Interesting. Um, so there's some tuning that has to be done there for yeah. these to bleed over into these other fields. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of 
probably one of the success stories to some extent, right? Is and this is avail this is this game was doable because of a convergence of all these different technologies, including like AR and and mobile and, and wireless and blah blah blah, uh, and Google Maps, right? So like Pokemon Go, and yeah. there were studies done, right, pre and post, from people who were wearing Fitbit, um, playing Pokemon Go, and of course, what the result you think I'm going to say is exactly what happened, which is the people who were playing Pokemon Go actually left the house, were walking around more and interacting with the world. And we you know, do you remember that weird two months or whatever when it was out and you would just drive around town and you'd see people just staring off in the distance, <laughs> you know, on their phone. And you're like, what are people doing? You're like, oh, it's Pokemon Go. Like, what's that? It's this new game. And I used to wake up two hours earlier than I normally would so I could take the train into San Francisco so I could go down uh, like on the Embarcadero and try to catch Pokemon that you could only get near water. See, like, that's that uh, motivation. Like yeah. you could never get me to wake up early yet for this. Heck yeah, I'd wake up early. So it's interesting um, because Pokemon Go is a collaborative game or it could be. It, you, you could use it or, or use some of the underlying principles to get people to go outside talk to each other, interact, you know, as that game, if you wanted to design that game in such a way. Um, I'm not sure where they are now, like what, what their plans are, you know? I mean, it still are. exists. Uh, yeah. It's obviously not as big as it was. I mean, I would consider it still healthy. Um, it's a great example of this AR world that, that it's probably going to be pretty big, right? And given the, the fact that like devices can run it now, uh, that the, the chips and in, in current iPhones and smartphones can run this stuff. But it's interesting um, the other interesting thing I saw was a study done on basically it was it was sociologists right like and psychologists really interested in these in these massively um, uh, collaborative games because people's personalities kind of come out in some ways. It's just interesting to see how completely random people interact online in these games. I remember playing a game called Battlefield, which is a big. It was like I was a huge. I got sucked into this, but it was like you know two in the morning. While playing in San Diego, there'd be like five people from Australia that you always just know. They're like doing it every night for like a month. And then there's two people who are from Germany. And you guys, we wouldn't talk to each other. Yet we could coordinate on the game in a very nonverbal way. And we just would know it was like our own little tribe. You did, all these people developed their little tribes online. And we didn't do that by emailing or talking or any of the standard ways that humans interact to get friends. Yeah. And that is a really weird thing. If you think yeah. about it, you take a step back and go, how do I know these people? How do they know me? How, and they depend on me to be there at a certain time so we can go run the tank together and get this flag or whatever. Yet I've never met this person, you know? Yeah. And I wonder if like games like that, are they a good scientific test bed? Yeah, I mean- to Test things like this, right? To see how people interact or you could introduce, introduce uh, challenges into the game or in a certain way to see how people work together to solve a problem or et cetera. Yeah, there's been there's been several like I don't of course don't know any of them offhand at the moment, but I I have read several studies around this where there has been games that were very popular and and very much like a uh, either a simulation or some some form of, of like massive multiplayer game, and there's been like studies where they have purposely kind of did something in the world, like changed the world or did something mm -hmm. or whatever, just to see how humans would like react to it. Because yeah, I mean, it's actually a great model for, for it. You know what I mean? Um, so like I'm, for example, played a ton of World of Warcraft in the past. And you're talking about kind of like, you know, that I would be in a guild with 200 people and I was an officer and, you know, I had never met any of these people in real life, never talked to them outside the game ever. 
And it's still like, yeah, like I depend on, okay, well, this guy's our, our, our guild blacksmith. So I need to, you know, ship him these things. I know he's going to make me this stuff. And I know we're going to be able to then, you know, go do this raid. And we're going to have like four to six hours together where we have 40 people committed and a hundred percent attentive. And like, yeah, it's like you have one person talking in, in the, in the voice chat saying like, Hey, okay, you know, we're going to go do this boss. Here's the strategy, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's it. Like everybody's like aligned on thing. It's like there, there's more organization in world of Warcraft than there is like in our own military. Like, I was just going to you know say I mean? like, it's like, almost like that. Remember that movie, that movie spies like us where at the end, they're just playing risk. They're like, okay, we got Chechnya here. You know, it's like, yeah. isn't it just easier and safer just to play it over a game in yeah. some sense than it is to actually put people, people's, uh, you know, boots on the ground. Um, yeah. That's yeah, a, that's a, that's a fascinating way people are working together. And it, it's, it's something on a scale that human brains never evolved to. Right. I mean, we, we kind of work best and evolved to work in these little tribes of probably 50 or 200 people at the, at the most. I, I, there is a number there, and I'm forgetting the name of that number that's been, that's been looked at. Uh, you know, what is that first, first degree network that you have? And the second, how many people are in your second degree network, right? Friends of friends, things like that. So it's interesting to me um, to see how these people interact. And, and it's, it seems pretty reliable across the different games it's like people are just people through these different games but one thing though and i've always wondered this just explain the appeal of world of warcraft and why it seemed to blow up because like you said these game mechanics there's lots of there's millions of the games how do games uh, and everyone wants to design these games that like either you know last specifically for a year or two like things like you said like madden versus a generational game like what you're working on how, do, how does one separate themselves from all the noise when you're developing a game? Like, you know, how do you stand out amongst the trillion choices people have when they go to like the, the app store or something like that? Yeah. So, I mean, so I can talk about why I think World of Warcraft is great because uh, it, it is one of the few games that has ever existed. If, and I'm talking about like classic World of Warcraft, not like the most recent expansion. So let's talk about just the original release. It was one of the very, very few games that have ever existed that had the perfect balance of easy barrier of entry, well, outside of like cost and stuff, but I'm talking about mm. just strict, strictly game. Easy barrier of entry, like you create a character, you pick the way it looks, they walk you through at the beginning, like very easy at the very beginning, and then amazingly high skill cap as well. You know what I mean? Like they did a very good job, in my opinion, of that. Some people say that the, the barrier of entry is still pretty high on a game like that. But like, it was more just time, time, time investment. So like the thing about World of Warcraft is to be the best player at that game, it's not being the most skilled player. Like, sure, that might separate you from somebody else that's played the same amount of time. But in terms, like, let's say I am half the skill of you at that game, but I play twice as much as you, I will be probably twice as powerful as you. And that's kind of like how that game works. That game was all just reward time. You don't need to be skilled necessarily. You need to be a little bit knowledgeable, but reward time. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of its success was, was because of that, where, you know, I didn't have to be the best at the video game, but hey, I'm a kid. I got tons of time, so I can just pour time into this. And there was an, a never-ending thing to do. Like, there was never a point where there was nothing to do. There was always something to do. Um, and everything was based on progression. So you had a character level. You had like every weapon had a level. Every ability had levels. 
um, you, you felt more powerful as you would go. Like if you got a new sword, it wasn't like, oh, it looks cool, but you know, I'm kind of hurting a monster the same way. It's like, oh man, now there's this monster that I couldn't kill before, but I got this new sword and now I, now I can just barely kill it. That's great. And I got this second new sword and now I can kill it really easy. Like there was a sense of progression there that they just nailed. And like, I don't think any game has done uh, as good a job since then. And that was like, I don't know, like 2006, no, 2004. Four, I don't know, whatever, whatever. Yeah, it's wow, an old game. game. It's 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 has been massively successful, and I, I I remember reading reports like people were dying at some point, yeah. like in Taiwan and stuff. Like you just people just were, were forgetting to hydrate, you know, and having arrhythmias, yeah, uh, dehydration. So this, which brings up the whole thing of red flags. It's weird time because I think I heard just the other day the Japanese, this law is being passed that's being contested now by a gamer. They're trying to limit how much time online you can you can have to play games. Uh, yeah, so certain certain countries already do that. So like, um, what do you think of that? I think I mean I think it's I think it's fine to a degree. Uh, so for example, in WoW, I have multiple times played it like thirty six hours straight. Like thirty six hours straight. Right. Yeah. Where the only things I would do are go to the bathroom and eat, and that's it. Um, I know some people that won't even do that. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, <laughs> So it, it can get crazy, and it's and it's one of those things where it's a mixed bag because I see why the laws are proposed, and it's essentially for the people who don't have the self control to prevent themselves from doing something unhealthy. You know, this law will f essentially force them to not do it. But at the same time, it's like this is like kind of just laws in general, which is, you know, it stinks if you're not that person. And you're also having to follow that law. You know what I mean? It's like laws yeah. are, for the most part, kind of, you know, set for like the lowest common denominator. You know what I mean? Like, like why is there a law against murder? If everybody thought murder was bad, there wouldn't be a law against murder because nobody would do it. But like there has yeah. to be it because some people do it. So it's like. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, even outside the, the, the boundaries of a strict, you know, like the legal system, but just any system that we put in place in the home and is apparent. I mean, what red flags, you know, where are the red flags here? Like where are the landmines here with this whole gaming, gaming culture, right? Like what, what do people need to be concerned about? I mean, obviously not eating or, or, or to the detriment of, of making money and taking care of your household and your family. Those are the obvious ones, but what are the other what what are, what are, what are the kind of things you've seen when things don't go well with people either being addicted or or just playing too much or whatever? And what can happen? And what what are the signs of that? Like, yeah, um, is that a so, problem anymore? Or is that something that's uh, people kind of figured it out and it's it, not such a huge issue? It can be a problem. Um, I think one of the one of the big problems that can come from it is is actually it's it's probably one you don't you don't immediately think of, um, but. So, so what was like when people would say back in the day, oh, you shouldn't, you know, let your kid watch TV a ton. Okay. It wasn't actually, if you, if you actually looked into those studies of why, like you shouldn't let your kid watch TV is it wasn't, um, actually the TV shows themselves. That was the problem. It was the commercials. It was the advertisements in between the shows. And that's the same thing with games. So like if, if, my, you know, I have a daughter, if she wanted to play video games and she was playing whatever, like an online multiplayer game with a bunch of people, like World of Warcraft, if she played a ton of World of Warcraft, I wouldn't care. 
perfectly fine with me. Like, sure, obviously you got to make sure they're healthy. Like they have to like still go to school and they still have to like eat and drink and stuff. Duh. But outside of that, <laughs> if the majority of her free time was spent playing World of Warcraft, fine, not a problem. Now, if the majority of her time was spent playing, uh, you know, uh, one of those free-to-play mobile games that mm. are built off of advertising, off of, you know, monetization that are modeled off of gambling, all of that kind of stuff, then I would have a huge problem. And that's like, so I worked at a company who did free-to-play games, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so this was in Austin, Texas, Okay. Uh, I was not working on a free-to-play game, but they did make free-to-play games at the company. And almost half of the people at the company that were in um, positions that were around like game design, around uh, like game modeling, or uh, not game modeling, uh, financial modeling, like monetization, stuff like that, were almost all ex-casino employees really like people that used to work in vegas at casinos yes because that's all free-to-play games are for the most part a lot of them it's like how can we get people addicted and then get them addicted to the point where they're just spending tons of money like that company had had individuals who were playing a free-to-play game we had hundreds if not thousands of individuals who literally were spending over ten thousand dollars a month ten thousand dollars a month a month on these free-to-play mobile games like, so where's I, the like, line then? Like, why aren't people doing that with World of Warcraft? I mean, what, what's the real difference? I mean, if you're using the same underlying game mechanics, I mean, are we splitting hairs? I mean, isn't the same, the, the, the potential to be uh, just as addicted? Or what's different between something like, wow. So, so I, I think this. there is potential to be just as addictive. I think the difference, though, is you're essentially addicted to fun. I, I, I know there's a, a weird, like, limit here. So it's like one of those things where mm-hmm. how do you uh, – how do you separate someone who takes drugs all the time and is addicted to the feeling they get when they're taking drugs, okay, versus someone who goes skiing every day and is addicted to the feeling of, of skiing? Like, how do you separate those two? You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's like a fine line, but it's a similar thing where, where for me, the big thing I, I, I don't like about these, these free-to-play mobile games is they're designed around getting you addicted to the point of making money off you. Like they don't care if you're happy or not. They just care if they're getting your money where a game like world of Warcraft, it may be a little bit different nowadays. They've put in microtransactions and et cetera, but a game like that, where you paid them a subscription, you said, I'm giving you $10 a month and that's all I have to give you. And I can play this game unlimited amount of time. They didn't give a crap about how much money they made off you because they made the same amount of money off every person. What they cared about was that you were having fun and you were happy. And like, I think that's kind of the difference. And that's like, for example, where, where the company that I work for currently, like, sure, we, we, we have avenues to make money in our games, duh, otherwise we wouldn't exist. But our core message always, like our most important metric is game hours. Like how mm-hmm. often are people playing the game? That is, we don't give a crap while well, we care. Sorry, that's okay. I'm being, being a little facetious, but we, we obviously care about money, but that's like not the main focus. Our main focus is, are people playing it a lot? Because so that's indicative that they're having fun. And that's the thing is like, so that's kind of like how I differentiate those a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, plus like for me, another thing too is I think that spending a ton of time in a mobile or sorry, in a, uh, in a video game that has an online component where you're interacting with other humans, like for me, interacting with another human in World of Warcraft 
is at the same capacity as interacting with them in real life. Like to me, to I was me, gonna just add, I, I do not see a difference. But, like wow. if you're having a voice chat, if you're, you know, sending them a text chat, whatever, like in me, in my opinion, you're still having social interaction. And if anything, maybe like this type of social interaction is easier because like, Hey, you can just meet, you don't have to like schedule like, Oh, when am I going to see you? Like, where are we going to meet? Like uh, all this stuff. And like, I think social interactions are very important as like, so the ready player one world to you is something that's not some evil dystopia. I mean, it's, 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 Mm -hmm. Hey, people are still hanging out. They're doing things. They're getting things. They're going to school online. They're in this virtual world together. And that's something that you wouldn't mind seeing. I mean, if, if you're talking about like, what's a, what's an awesome future world for me? Like I, I hope that before I die, but probably not, but before I die, there is like, I think our future is to upload our consciousness. So like everything that's going on in our, in our brain into some form of either machine, uh, computer, whatever you want to say, software, et cetera, some, something and then we essentially can now live forever because of that. Like that's, I think that's what the the route that if if immortality is ever achieved, it's not going to be because like oh our bodies can now live forever. I don't think that's ever going to be the scenario personally. No, like, yeah, that, there's 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 a lifespan. There's a there's a there's a shelf life to 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 human cells. Exactly. So for like sure. for me, it's most likely going to be a way to transfer our consciousness into something that doesn't deteriorate. So like you know, what, at, at, at what point is, I mean, at what point is it any different for, for your consciousness to live in something with everybody else's consciousness and then communicating, talking, having whatever that way? Well, that's, like, that's always been, I mean, if, assuming that we get to the level, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you on that, on, on that vision. What is interesting though, is that assuming that we are at that level of tech, uh, technology, um, you would have systems in place to be able to take care of like, the more mundane things in life. Like I'm not saying farming is, mon- is mundane, but you could probably remote just AI operate that. So there's a lot of these things that are being done every day, which means, and this has always been the question. That's, right? already, like, that's already starting to happen. Like my dad yeah. tells me all the time, like, so a lot of tractors nowadays, uh, you type in like a GPS pattern yeah, your, uh, and then you sit in the cab in case anything goes wrong, but it'll drive all by yeah. itself. So you just well, like start program and stop. It's 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 the whole uh, the utopian vision of the universal basic income and all the other stuff is taken care of for you. So what do you do every day, right? So yeah, it's like exactly. the Star Trek universe, and it was always just assumed in the Star Trek universe, right, that it was, oh well, we're just gonna go better ourselves and go do the things we want to do. But Explore. there is this fear, right? Find this out fear. new stuff, learn, learn. But the fear is, well, why do that when I can just sit at home? And if you're going 36 hours straight for World of Warcraft, how many people are going to be doing that even to more extreme? If if I had to actually flip the switch a little bit on on, on the combo just to say, because I just thought of something that I was, I've wondered just hearing you talk about this because you have such a great knowledge of the evolution of all of this in culture, right? Um, going back into like the hall of fame of games, what game do you wish you could have worked on? Like, you know, like for, like there's a couple games that stand up for me. I'm not a huge gamer, but I'm a, you know, like, like for me, like Microsoft flight simulator, you know, the golden, the, I think I got a C in chemistry, like my only bad grade in college for the most part was because of Goldeneye on oh, N64. Nice. When N64 came out, the graphics were, it just it blew everything else away. Yeah. And it was just four of us sitting there playing that game for hours and hours and hours, and you would just get really good. But, but from a developer standpoint, are there any games that you're like, damn, I just wish I was a part of that team when they made that. They had no idea how big it was going to be or how cool it was going to be. 
the original World of Warcraft, that 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 for sure, like I've wanted to work on a game like that forever. Um, I would say the original World of Warcraft and uh, Pokemon Red or Pokemon Red, Blue, Green, um, which were like the they all came out at the same time. But um, yeah, those those are the games. Like I still to this day want to you know make my own version of each of those games. Like that is, like, I mean there there's nostalgia factor for sure. But there's also a reason that those games have lasted the test of time. You know what I mean? Like, there's still Pokemon games. And, and the thing about, like, I keep bringing this up, but the, the most recent Pokemon game has the exact same core mechanic as the original Pokemon game. It's exactly the same, which is you go out, you catch Pokemon, you train them, you battle other Pokemon, and you win. And when you win, what do you get? Oh, well, your Pokemon get experience, which make them stronger, so you can battle harder people. Like... I mean, it's it's the same thing, but like those are those two games for sure, one hundred, uh, like one hundred percent. And then the, like on top of all that, I've always wanted to work on like a sports game. Um, really, I, I really like sports games, so like that's I've always like I remember playing uh, Tecmo Bowl on regular NES way back in the day with my older brother. That Me was too. like that was my jam. And then there was uh, a baseball game for for regular Nintendo where it was like pretty ahead of its time because you could like create characters like you would create your whole team and you got like points where Which you could game like is this i remember this game i don't know if it was what was that was... game because yeah you had to create the I... whole roster and everything yeah and then like as you played um it would uh uh i think it was called bases loaded i'm pretty yep. sure it's called bases loaded i think you're I right just looked it up so um but the cool part about that game was it's kind of a similar mechanic you play games uh, you would get stat points, and those stat points could be allocated to your players, which made them better, which made them easier to win. And then, as you won more, then you could get more points, and you know that same thing. And then, um, also, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater was another one that I that's played. a great game. I forgot about that game, but that was also super addictive because there were so many skills you could you could yep. learn and you could apply them on so many areas of the level. So you could like it was impossible to exhaust the possibilities. Yeah, like, of that game, yeah, and and like you were saying earlier about just being. It was like the cool skater surf crowd, which me, a boy from Missouri, was not a part of. Right? Oh, yeah. It's like I, mean, I got this little window into this cool thing where, you know, like the, the Red Bull generation, you know, that, that whole crew. Yeah. Um, it felt very MTV. Um, so that leads to the question, though, Drew, like you have been working on this stuff and you know how to create games. Have you just thought about, you know, is there, is there kind of a, a list of projects in your head where you're just like, you know what, I think it's time for me or, or at least there will be a time when I'm going to go just go create my own game or create a startup and do it? So like for, for what it's worth, I, I, I have a, uh, a Google doc that started as like some other doc that started as like written down in a notebook, but like essentially every idea that I've ever had for a game, I like jot down in this and I look back and some of them are really stupid. Some of them are great. Anything uh, you want to share? Uh, nah, I mean, nothing really. Um, I'm actually, it's funny as, so I tend to do this always where I work my like normal, like full-time job. And then, um, where I'm essentially for the most part being told what to do, you know, um, to balance that, I always have like what a, you know, a personal project that I'm working on. Um, 95% of the time, the personal project doesn't turn into anything. You know what I mean? There's this, uh, kind of wow, uh, style. So World of Warcraft style game that I was working on where I was writing the, like the front end, the, the client, the server, like everything. Um, 
It was going to be like an MMO, so massively multiplayer. Uh, it was going to take place in space, um, very similar to WoW, but instead of like a character, you have a spaceship. Okay. Um, and then, uh, but like, you know, very so, like you go out, there's like quests, you got to go do your quests, you got to resource gather off planets and stuff, you have to build your base, um, you have to protect it from other players trying to attack you, whatever. I probably spent, I don't know, a thousand hours working on this game. Really? Like, that's how, like, in depth I got, you know what I mean? Um, and then, yeah, I just kind of like, eh. And then just kind of scrapped it. You know what I mean? Uh, like, I still have the code. It still exists. Like, yeah. it's like in Git. But it's like, it's one of those things where it's just like, that. I do that a lot. But I just enjoy the act of doing that. Because it's like, you know, maybe at work, I'm building building a feature. And, you know, something as simple as like, oh, I wish I could use this programming language instead of the one I have to use at work. Okay, fine. Like, I'm doing this thing at my home. I can do whatever I want. So, like, right now, for example... Uh, uh, since like the whole COVID stuff, I started golfing more because like I mentioned, that's like an easy thing to do. So I wanted an app, uh, that could track my golf distances. So like, how far do I hit my driver? How far do I hit my seven iron on average? Okay. And you, you go to the app store, there's a bunch of them, but like none of them really did exactly what I wanted. Um, and there was a couple that were promising, but they were like really expensive. They were like 10 bucks a month, uh, like subscription. Okay. And I was like, man, this doesn't seem that hard. So I spent like the last like three weeks and I just built myself the app that I want to like use for myself. And that's like, that's like a stuff that I tend to do. Are you um, putting it out there? Is it going to be on the app store or something like that? So people can um, get it? Yeah. I, it, it surprisingly wasn't as hard as I thought. Um, and it's like fairly, uh, fairly polished. Uh, so yeah, I'll probably put it on the app store and just see, see what happens. It's one of those things though, where the, the point of this is that I'm less about necessarily like, hey, I want to quit my day job and like go do this fun thing because what I've like, I mean, I've done that essentially. Um, and, and what I've found is that having your own startup is, even if it comes from an idea that you think is like fun or whatever, it does like make your fun hobby thing turn into work essentially mm -hmm. you know what i mean and 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 sometimes that can work and sometimes it's great but there is a fine line there and for me i would rather just at the moment at least uh i mean i'm in my opinion i'm working my dream job right now like you know what i mean like i i don't have aspirations of like oh this other job would be my dream job like what i'm doing currently is my dream job so um so for me it's like i'd rather just do that and then just kind of have no consequence, no pressure, no timelines, no deadlines, nobody telling me what I have to do and just kind of do it on my own. And if it, whatever, if I put this in the app store for 99 cents and it sells a million copies, great. Yeah. But uh, if I put yeah. it in the app store for 99 cents and it sells 13 copies over the first year, which is probably what's going to happen, <laughs> that's okay too. Cause like, whatever, I had fun building it. So like, yeah. it's much more about the journey than the destination in terms of that kind of stuff. And it does seem like that specifically in, in, in software development, because it seems like you don't have to throw away code, right? Like once you figure out how to do something, it seems like you could, it's modular enough to where you can, use, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can use that in other areas yeah, uh, for and, future projects. If yeah. And that's, fits. that is something I do all the time. So I'm a, a, a huge believer in like reusing code and stuff like that, which is like, you'd be surprised at how much stuff at like big companies that make billions of dollars literally is just written for like one tiny thing and then never used again, which makes like no sense. So 
for me, it's, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in that. So like essentially every single thing I do for my personal projects, I build in a way where I can utilize it. So like this golf app, one of the reasons mm-hmm. I could build this and probably, I don't know, I probably worked on it for about 40 hours of time so far mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, the reason I've, I'm able to build a, a, a legit app in, in 40 hours is because I have, you know, thousands of hours of other code that I can pull from, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, I don't have to come up with like, the way like the UI transfers from one page to another. I can just pull that from something here. Oh, I don't have to worry about how do I save data like to disk so that way I can use it later. Oh, I can just pull that from here. And like at the same thing too, it's like I'm also learning things. So now when I go to my day job or try to go to my next job or whatever, like my arsenal of things I know is just bigger. So, so it's very so, beneficial. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's really cool actually. Uh, and so in that case, what should we be expecting the people who aren't so knee deep into the game world, but more the, more the, the customer side, like what's exciting you? What is the experimental stuff going on in games and what should we be excited about um, being able to, to experience in the next year or two, let's say. Yeah. What's interesting is we're at the point. Um, so I would say a couple years back, like the new, the new hotness was like VR and AR. Okay. For what it's worth, that's actually seems to be kind of dying down a little bit for the most part. Like there hasn't been many leaps and bounds there. Uh, Why do you think that is? You think it's a technology issue or it's just, it's not um, engaging that people thought it would be. I just, I think the, the barrier of entry between like, obviously anything like new tech wise is going to be expensive. Um, But I think it was just, a little too janky based on the marketing that it got. I think if it would have been marketed more like, Hey, here's like this new innovative thing. It's like super alpha. It's going to be a while until it's like ready. You know, here you go. Like that's kind of like what like Tesla did with like the first roadster. And then like the first model S even they were like very transparent where they're like, Hey, this car is really expensive. It's not going to be the best car we ever make. Um, it's, it's probably going to have issues, but what you're doing is you're helping us make it better. And now you have like the model three, which I have. That's, yeah, like that's a really great car. That's um, funny because when I first got the HTC Vive. I was scared because I'm a huge Apple user. So I have like MacBooks and, and, and I have the trash can Mac and everything. I, I don't game with it because it's not really a conducive to, to gaming, but do everything else in life with it. I had not owned a personal computer with Microsoft, anything installed on it for years. I mean, like 15 years. So when I got the HTC Vive, I knew the setting up of the vibe would be pretty straightforward. I have mic stands and light stands at home. And I just kind of repurposed them to do that. So I put like the, the cubes up and um, super slick on the interface uh, on, or all the hardware was super slick, right? The whole thing was cool. came in the box. It was really easy to understand. The part that scared the crap out of me, and I was literally like, oh God, I don't want to do this, is the windows piece. I was like, I don't want to deal with windows. I don't want to turn this computer on. And so I think that I'd either asked you or somebody, I was like, just get me the PC, like point out the one with the graphics card necessary to run this, this thing. And at the time it was the, I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's like the GeForce 9 million, you know, the titanium, blah, blah, blah. I don't, you know, I don't remember what it was, but I remember it just being like super expensive. It was like expensive as a computer, you know, like the card itself. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised. It came in a box from Amazon. I opened everything up and everything it installed in 30 minutes from box to getting into the VR world, uh, 33 minutes, I think is what it was. We timed it. And that's setting up all the hardware and the tracking stuff too. And 
for uh, me experiencing Windows for the first time since like the Weezer video on the 19, Windows 95 disc back in the day. I mean, that's like how long ago. So I was like, wow, they've really come a long way in making this just super easy to set up. But I could see how it could be a very, very difficult barrier for you know parents trying to set it up for their kids or something like yep. that or try to navigate the stores or get the apps that's where i saw the problem was with the the, the games and the apps like there were some out of like the six thousand, there were like nine that were engaged games were the problem yeah yeah because i mean like look at it like you have uh you know whatever like a nintendo switch okay which is like a underpowered android tablet like the hardware is pretty not great for the most part. The controllers are okay, but like the screen's low res, it's not very powerful. But what sells in the Nintendo Switch is the games. I mean, that's been Nintendo's model forever is who cares what our console is? If we have the best games, people will buy it. You know what right. I mean? Right. Um, and, that's, and that's kind of where I think VR is lacking. Like if there was better games, it would be selling more, but there, you combo the lack of good games mixed with um, the fact that it's like you're buying this super expensive piece of hardware and then you get it and you realize, oh crap, now I got to also buy a computer. Yeah. You know, it's, just, it's like, there's just a lot of stuff. But anyway, so that VR is kind of like the, was the, the old hotness. Um, I do think that it'll still trend and it'll, it'll hit mainstream eventually, but it's like a slower trajectory than it could have been if they would have done. A so we're still on the rise there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Essentially, what I would wait for is there's going to be at some point there'll be a a next gen. There'll be like a generational leap of VR, which will be like super streamlined, like no wire. Like so, you're just wearing a headset, no wire. Yeah. Um, you'll have like uh, the software integrated perfectly. I mean, ultimately, what might be the best is for there to. It's a mixed bag because it's like. Competition is good because it, it makes like the, you know, Oculus versus, versus HTC Vive or whatever. Competition is good because they're trying to one-up each other. But at the yeah. same time, as a developer, if you're trying to build something that works across all the different VR headsets, it's very hard. But if there was only one, it'd be a lot easier and you'd have a better yeah. experience. That's why the, the index, the Valve index, uh, that's why Half-Life Alex, the most recent uh, VR game that's like good, works so well on that is because they built it for the same people built both. And like, yeah. and that's kind of like what Nintendo does, you know, and with their first party titles. And it's, so in my opinion, the next step of VR should be cheaper, better. And then let's pray that they have good like games to go with that kind of push. And then I think things can, can hit a good market. But anyways, I actually think what the newest version uh, or the newest kind of technology thing is going to be, is actually just going to be around uh, just realism in general. So, where games are right now is we're kind of like we've actually kind of hit a peak where and you're probably familiar with the like uncanny valley term where essentially you have a piece of computer simulated uh human or environment that looks very close to real but not real enough to trick you so that you like feel uneasy seeing it essentially. So like a good yeah, example is, is like the, Polar Express. I was just going to, that's the one that always gets brought up because it's, it's creepy. It, 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 the, you, you, the suspension of disbelief stops. Yeah, exactly. You're not immersed anymore. So because you're just but, like, that guy looks odd. And it, but with the next generation of graphics cards that are coming out, so that would be like the 3000 series from like NVIDIA. Okay. We are going to get in like the newest Unreal Engine that they've been showing off for the PS5. We are getting to a point where we can, I believe, break through that and get to the point 
where like film is now. Like, you know, if you have like a CG character in film, it still looks like it tricks you. You know what I mean? Like you watch the most, like the most recent Avengers movie or whatever, like half that stuff is computer generated, but it tricks you, you know, it's no problem. Yeah. I believe we are going to be able to get to that point in the next five years for games and games are going to take this jump from where they look now to literally looking like you're just watching a video. You know what I mean? Like you're outside, like looking at this rock or whatever. And you think that's um, more, you think that's going to lead to more engagement uh, that, because that is a treadmill that has kept running right for the last 30 years, this improvement in just just pixels, like better pixels coming to your eye at faster rates that, that, that look fluid and smooth. Um, is that the right treadmill to be on though? I mean, what about the collaborate, the, 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 collaborative gaming, like we talked about, about immersion with um, motion tracking, other tools like that. I mean, you know, is that, is, yeah. is, is, is visual, is, is, is this just chasing something that really doesn't, doesn't, isn't there going to be a, a hard stop to that where people oh, yeah. don't care anymore? Like, be like, this is good enough to where yeah, there, there is going to be a hard stop where it's literally just going to look like, you know, you're looking at it in real life. Like there's going to be a point where we hit close enough to that, that there's not really anything worth going there. And I think we're at a point now where very few games coming out, almost none are like actually unique. You know what I mean? It's almost always like a, either a rebrand of a previous game, a game mechanic that's already ex like been out before, um, or, you know, mixing and mashing other games together. That's kind of where we're at now. Um, so I think that there's not very many levers to pull at this moment in time. So we're kind of just focusing on one that we know will help. And that is like visual Got fidelity. It. So like if you can always sell a game by saying, look, it looks beautiful. At least right now, you can always say, look how good it looks. Like that's, that's like, if it's fun, people will continue to play it. But if it looks amazing, that'll get you pressed, that'll get people to buy it, like, et cetera. So I personally believe that right now the, the focus is going to be on visual fidelity, mostly around like lighting and audio, um, like actual texture quality, like photorealistic textures um, have existed for a long time. Like you can take a picture of somebody's arm and make it into a texture in a game. Like that's a real thing you can do. Um, the issue that you have is mainly around real-time lighting so uh like when you can put somebody in a video game that doesn't move that looks amazing but as soon as you move either that character or the camera moves mm -hmm. that's when it becomes an issue that's why when you know avengers renders out a cg scene if the scene is a 30 second scene it takes it a week to render it out because that's how much processing power it takes to make it look real where games, everything has to be real time. Like it has to render it the same amount of time that it's displaying it. Like there's, you can't be out of sync. So that's where, you know, new techniques and like lighting and uh, shadows and reflections and audio are gonna be huge going forward. That's what's gonna take current games from where they are into that level of like photorealism. So. Got it. And you mentioned like the game mechanics have been pretty well thought out or, or pretty reliable over the years. Yeah. Are there any taboo areas or areas or game mechanics that people are just hesitant to try, even though there's potential for them to work? Nah, not that I know of. I mean, I think games are pretty open to trying everything. Uh, like topics, content, game mechanics, you name it. Like 
like there's there's a game pretty much for everything out there you know what i mean and like like there's there's like games that are literally made where it's like this game is made specifically for you to like lose 800 times before you win that one time and go to the next level like there are games that that are that level of like yeah just like the game is it's not it's not that the game is even hard. The game is like designed to like punish you and make you feel bad. Like there's games like that out there. Um, there's like games what? that What's are- a game? What's a game like that? Uh, so like uh, one people like to always bring up is like Dark Souls or Demon Souls is like a future one. So like, that's like a game that's notoriously difficult. And there'll be points in the game where like everything will be going fine. And all of a sudden there'll be like a monster come out and just like one swing kill you. And it's just like, oh, okay. So there's other yeah. games. There's other games where it's like, uh, it's like more of like an online MMO type game, like World of Warcraft. But like right. when you die, your like character's dead, like yeah. forever. So you could have like 250 hours into a character, all this yeah. equipment, all this stuff, and it's like, oh no, you accidentally like, I don't know, ran into this monster that was too hard, and you die, and it's like, oh, it's gone. Got to start over. Like. There's games like that. That's like a mechanic that maybe people in the world would think is like taboo, but like that exists. But can you imagine um, just the just that startup space, you know, that, that room where they're thinking that up, like the first, you know, production meeting number one, like what are we going to do? And that getting greenlit. That's just a really weird conversation to think. Yeah. Right. At a, at a multi-million dollar. That's, that's usually like the way those ideas happen is somebody like the majority of people on the team, the team like formed around that idea yeah. so it'll be like hey i work at my company i have a friend who works at that company i have another friend who works at another company and we're like dude we love games that are super hard we should just like get together and make this super hard game like that's how that type of thing happens because otherwise like it would never get greenlit you know what i mean yeah. like an executive at like a, at ea or something would never be like yeah let's make that game like it would just never happen so you know the funny thing. I just this I, this just popped in my head is something that's a weird mix of a game and video. Literally a video game. Do you remember that Netflix show that came out? Was it like six or seven months ago? Where it was like basically a choose your own adventure book. Yeah, yeah. and you could use the remote. I didn't do it, but I do remember it. Yeah, I thought it was kind of it. The story itself was interesting to some level. It wasn't super engaging, and it obviously is like you know on a total alpha stage, right? This is like a new thing that they're trying out. But I got to say the potential for something like that is, to me, I thought was huge. It didn't seem to catch on. I think people were detracted by the level of storytelling that was there. But you could imagine that if you just got like, you know, Aaron Sorkin to write your script, right, for an hour and a half, you get to film a shit ton of film, a ton of endings, more than, you know, like remember how many fingers we used to use to put in those Choose Your Own Adventure books when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like more than that. But if you pulled that off, it's funny. It's like it starts to blur the lines between what's a game because you kind of are controlling this weird dude, you know, with so, your remote control. I forgot the name of it. Um, so for what it's worth, like, it was kind of a new idea putting this on like, uh, uh, like Netflix. But this type of game has actually been out for like, absolutely for a long time. Right. Um, like there was a game. God, I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. I can't think of it right now. Uh, oh, yeah. So there was a game called um, Heavy Rain that came out. I remember Heavy, Heavy Rain. Rain? Heavy yeah, Rain? it was. I think it was. It was on PS4. Uh, maybe it wasn't. Was it Heavy Rain? All right, I'm looking at the It was like the right detective. Now. It was the detective story kind of thing, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. You make Heavy choices. Rain. Yeah. So, yeah. So, essentially, it was like you're a detective. You're, you're trying to solve a mystery. 
and it was like an episode of CSI or whatever, essentially. And like, yeah, it, you would just get into uh, like, you don't like play the game really. It's just, you get to like a, 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 a spot and it'd be like, Hey, what thing do you want to do? And you'd be like, Oh, I want to say like, I think you're lying. And you go like, and then it just like plays out a cutscene based on that. And then you kind of just move on to the next thing. Um, so, so it was like, I remember that game was very much like innovative. You know what I mean? That was like mm -hmm. a new idea. Nobody was really doing at that time. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, it hasn't seemed to really catch on. It hasn't really caught on in a mainstream way. Yeah. So interesting. So, well, yeah, listen, you, you're, so you talked about the passion project you're working on with the golf thing, but is there anything else that we should know about that you're working on or things that are kind of in the ideation stage? Um, not really. I, it's funny. It's like the, the, the PC building simulator game. Like I yeah, totally that had is... that, that idea. Be, like, I'm not even kidding. I, I had that idea. And I uh, like started like I started a, a, a Git repo for it. I started like a, a project. I started writing some of the foundation stuff. And I was like maybe like a weekend. And then I saw like a press release being like, "Hey, this game's coming out." And I was like, "No." What's it called? What's that game called? It's literally called PC Building Simulator. Oh, awesome! So the games, the simulation games, because I'm Asian and I'm a doctor, and my parents made us do this. Um, do you remember Life and Death? It was like the surgical simulator. And I find it funny that people really haven't made any good medical games. Like not like there's the surgical simulator one that's out now that's really that's funny. funny. Like it's comedic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was one that was like, there were two games that came out. It was like Broader Bund, or like I had released it or something. It was like 89 or 91. And there was like a sequel. It was called The Brain. You did brain surgery. And it was, it was crazily accurate. Like it was crazily accurate to the point where my dad walked in. He's a physician. He's like, I see you're giving a lidocaine to this patient for a heart. I'm like, he's like, how do you know how to do that? I'm like, it's a game. He's like, what? This is a game? And I just think it's funny that there's either there's no money in it or it's not as interesting. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it, but it, it is, as it sounds to me, maybe because I'm a physician, but it seems like there's enough doctor shows on TV where if you could simulate being in that environment and doing that, people would do it. Yeah, no, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I would assume there's there's some hesitation around like the risk of being like oh well we don't want to like give people like medical ideas that aren't like real you know, <laughs> yeah like oh well i did it medical you know i did it in in, in surgeon simulator so i can just like cut my own arm off who cares yeah um, that's true uh there is i do see that there's a autopsy simulator oh my gosh uh that's that's currently in development. Um, Autopsy simulator. Autopsy. So where do you check? So how do you keep track of what's coming out and stuff? What's your source of information? Probably. Uh, so it's mostly like Reddit to be in YouTube. So um, so I like what's funny is if I was like a single dude by myself, I would not have a Netflix Netflix subscription, no Amazon Prime, no Hulu, nothing. Like I just only watch stuff on YouTube. Like everything I watch is on YouTube. Yeah. And sure. then. Uh, and then, yeah, Reddit is probably the other main – Reddit and Twitter are the main, like, areas I find information on stuff. But, like – so, for example, uh, I follow a couple different YouTube shows that are just, like – one of them is literally, like, daily, like, gaming and technology news. And it's, like, a five-minute video, super short. And it's just, like, hey, here's, like, the new gaming, the new tech, the new phone, things that are, like, happening today. Um, and a lot of those will talk about games and stuff. But, um, but yeah, and, and it's, like – 
it's kind of hard to escape like in my, in, like my office or, you know, in my Yeah, job. absolutely. Like we have like a, like an OT games channel where literally people just like post any game like they see, um, like in there. So like you see it a lot and whatnot. Um, well, Drew, this, this has been like fascinating for me just because like, this is a side of your knowledge base. I never get to access, you know, and it's so cool that you're kind of back into this now full time. Um, uh, and, and it is your dream job. And that's, that's an amazing thing to be able to, to say, right? Uh, so this is a very cool space. And uh, I really need to start talking to you later about how to get the right hardware in the house here. So we can start engaging in these new games. Um, the AR stuff is just super interesting to me because it's accessible because I have a phone that can do it, right? Yep. I have an iPad and a phone that can do it. And it's like, huh, I'm interested to see where this is going to go. Yeah. Um, I but, think the AR thing is just like trying to find a like use case that a wide market of people would care about and then, you know, executing on it. So, yeah. Well, how can people find you and find out what you're, what you're up to? Are you on Twitter? Um, Uh, I am on Twitter. You could, you could check my official, like not personal Twitter, which is like Andrew on tech. Um, I used to have a YouTube channel back in the day. Andrew on tech. Andrew on tech where I used to like, do uh pc building stuff and uh i believe i made a video challenging one of your ideas on andrew on tech i believe that yeah, yeah that was real that was this was all before i had a kid and and i had tons of free time so um but yeah i mean you can follow my andrew on tech twitter that's that is that is probably the easiest way to get information i'll post on there like when i release like my golf app and stuff like that it'll be on there so. yeah let us know about that for sure and what else you know what do you need right now to succeed is there anything that people can do for you no, you can, you can shoot me app ideas. I cannot see the thing is like mobile apps. I can make mobile apps in like a hot minute. Like that's easy peasy. Uh, like making like a huge PC game or whatever takes a lot more effort, but I can make an app in a day. So there's an app that if there's an app you want that doesn't exist. Let me know. Well, I do have the startup. I'll tell you, I have to tell you about later. Uh, yeah. but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have, I'll, I'll always take up offers like that. Cool. And how this has been an awesome conversation. I just, I've learned a lot from it to be honest. Yeah, it was fun.